Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. School starts for many children at the end of this month. How will a lack of a new two-year state budget impact aid to school districts? We'll ask that question, among others, to leaders of the Connecticut General Assembly. That's later in the hour. Now, reports suggest state lawmakers may not come to a budget agreement until the fall. How is this budget impasse impacting local municipalities? Some towns have delayed voting on a budget. Others have notified their residents to expect supplemental bills in the future. Should residents expect last-minute cuts to their schools, their police, their libraries, among other local services? Today, we're hearing from your cities and towns, and we want to hear from you, too. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Our first guest is in studio with us. Betsy Guerra is executive director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns, known as COST. Betsy, welcome to where we live. Thank you, Lucy, and I'm so pleased to be here today. Tell us uh, briefly uh, who you represent, your organization. The Connecticut Council of Small Towns is an association of smaller communities throughout Connecticut. We are organized as a grassroots advocacy organization to make sure that smaller towns have a big role and a big voice at the state capitol on issues affecting their communities. When we say smaller towns, I think on your website, 139 smaller towns. Right. There are 139 smaller towns that are eligible for membership in cost. And that means that they have a population of 30,000 or less. So what are these towns telling you? What are you hearing from them? We're hearing a lot of frustration from towns from across the state. They are very concerned about the lack of a state budget and what that means in terms of trying to make decisions affecting their communities. Not only is there no state budget, but there may be cuts under the governor's resource allocation plan that are going to make monumental impacts on our school systems and on the delivery of certain capital projects, roads, infrastructure, and other issues. Why is this year different? I I believe you used to work for the CBIA as a lobbyist. Uh, Connecticut's fiscal problems have been growing year after year. This can't come as a surprise. It doesn't come as a surprise, but this is the first year that the level of municipal aid is is in such question. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen in terms of municipal aid. If you look at the governor's resource allocation plan, there are deep cuts to municipalities. And in some cases, municipalities are receiving absolutely nothing in terms of education cost sharing grant money. And that's a big change. In the past, when we've had budget negotiations that have dragged on, the level of municipal aid was never in question. Towns could rely on the numbers that were included in the governor's budget or in the appropriations committee budget. But now we're told, you know, brace yourselves, municipal aid is on the chopping block, and we're trying to scramble and figure out what that means for our communities. Remind us what happened last year, Betsy. Uh, was aid flat from the state? Or were there reductions? Actually, in the last dozen years, municipal aid for the smaller communities has been pretty flat. And so we talk about the fact that the the governor and the legislature has preserved state aid, but they have preserved it at flat levels. And that means that towns have had to absorb and pick up a bigger share of delivering local services because the cost of providing those services has increased every year. You also mentioned uh, the educational cost sharing or ECS funding. Remind us also in terms of this 
funding that's supposed to go to states to, or to the cities and towns for their school districts. Has that money been um, adequately funded over the years? The ECS formula has not been adequately funded. And in fact, if you look at recent court decisions, it has determined that the state has a an obligation, a constitutional obligation to fund education. And that is non-delegable, meaning they can't push this responsibility onto the towns and cities. And I believe the Connecticut Supreme Court is taking up the, the case now at the end of September. I wanted to bring into the discussion now a couple of different towns in the state of Connecticut. Uh, John Elsesser is joining us. He's the town manager of Coventry. John, welcome to the show. Yes, uh, thank you. I understand you've been a town manager for some time. Uh, how is this year different in terms of figuring out how to operate your town? Um, we're actually going very blind. Uh, it's just a guessing game. I'm, and uh, for managers, that's really difficult because we like to plan out and have long-term plans. And now we're kind of going week by week. So it's very frustrating. Uh, we don't know what to do and, and what's going to be available for resources. We've heard for some time that uh, towns often have to pass their budgets long before the Connecticut General Assembly is supposed to pass theirs, and that's the first week in June. Now that there is still no budget, what did your, how did your town handle that in terms of your budget for the next year? Um, we actually went through the normal process, and right before we went to town meeting and then a subsequent referendum, we paused the whole process, uh, working with uh, an old... Uh, uh, superior court ruling, um, our town attorneys felt comfortable just to, to put the process uh, on hold until there's a state budget. So we're operating under state law for, with a 90-day budget, uh, which gets us through September. And after that, we'd have to operate on 30-day budgets. So very limited funding uh, below last year's spending levels. Um, and we're just trying to you know, squeak through till we get some guidance. Uh, Betsy, is that common for, for towns to do this uh, these uh, 90 and 30-day budgets? It's not common. There are other towns that have done that. Others have taken different routes. They've delayed issuing the tax bills on their motor vehicles, um, hoping that the tax cap that was in, put in place a couple of years ago is adjusted upwards. Other towns are looking at a variety of options, um, indicating, for example, on their tax bills that they will, in fact, be looking at issuing supplemental tax bills. Uh, in terms of the car tax, so you're saying some towns haven't even sent out the, the bill yet? No, they haven't. For example, the town of Bolton um, has delayed sending out their car tax bills, thinking that the state has indicated that they are going to adjust that car tax cap, which is currently at 32 mils. It's supposed to go up to 37. Now I know there's a lot of a big push to eliminate the car tax cap entirely. Uh, John, what did your town do in terms of, of the, the motor tax bill? Um, we were below what the new cap coming in at 32 is going to be, um, but we set a tax rate of 32 mils. Uh, we were at 31.2, so we actually did a 0.8 mil increase, uh, but kept it below the 32 in case the state leaves the existing law. Um, and we sent the motor vehicle tax bills out uh, just so we get some cash flow coming in. We know that Governor Malloy has been operating uh, the state government by executive order uh, because there is no new two-year budget passed by the Connecticut General Assembly. He's indicated um, that he will be shifting more school aid to poorer districts. How will that impact your town, John? Um, we're on the really uh, bad side of that formula. Uh, 
we get about uh, $9.8 million of ECS money now. He's proposing to take almost $6 million of that. Um, that's about equal to, with other state aid cuts, a 7 mil increase, which is just impossible uh, uh, for our residents. And it's very frustrating because, um, you know, the parties are up there. Some are saying we don't want any tax increase. Well, property taxes are taxes, and, and it's it's kind of naive to think that they're going to cut that amount of money and not have a, a property tax increase. So the question is, is property tax the best tax in the state to increase? I mean, obviously, we'll have to, to cut uh, what we can, but if we get a $6 million decrease, the town budget is only $10 million, um, you know, short of the education side. And we don't even know what education is going to be allowed, because in the past, there was something called MBR, the minimum budget requirement, where you couldn't really lower it more than 3% uh, in any given year. But if you're cutting two-thirds of the education aid, how are you going to do that? That's why we're very frustrated, because there's zero guidance uh, on how things are going to work. So give us the, the doomsday scenario, John. If, the, if you were to see $6 million cut uh, from your town, where would you make those? Uh, how, what would you eliminate? Uh, you know, it really, it's mind-numbing uh, to try to think about, because we don't know. I mean, it's like, do we eliminate our total police department and public works department? Uh, you know, that's kind of what it, what it would take on the town side to to just get kind of half of the cut. Um, so on the Board of Educa- Education side, they'd, there would be massive layoffs. Um, but the students are going away. So I don't, and especially special ed, which is mandated, uh, and and as a large portion of of our budget, so we're going to be up against, you know, what laws are we breaking? What union contracts are we breaking? Uh, are we going to even be able to plow snow? It's nobody is looking at the order of magnitude of the cuts. They're just looking at it on a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. and and they're not talking to us, which is very frustrating. But you know, state agencies have been cut. We understand state employees have, have given back. We understand and, and appreciate it. But nobody's looking at the impact on towns, and they need to look at what they're talking about. When you talk about a, a 50% decrease in state aid, state agencies got a 10% or, or 13% cut uh, on a lot bigger money. Uh, so it's not fair. It's not equitable. And as uh, Betsy already stated, on education aid. They are legally, constitutionally responsible to pay for it. So the idea that they're shifting that burden all onto property taxes is just ludicrous. This is where we live today. We're talking with towns like Coventry, where John Elsesser is the town manager. Um, Elizabeth Guerra or Betsy Guerra is in studio with us, executive director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Uh, We wanted to hear from towns and cities about their plans as the Connecticut General Assembly has yet to pass a new two-year budget and with Governor Malloy operating under executive order, uh, anticipated uh, changes in the kind of state aid that uh, municipalities have received for years, um, that will will definitely change. Um, If you want to join the conversation, if you're concerned about what's going to happen in your town as you wait to see what happens at the state capitol, we want to hear from you. 860-275-7266. Joining the conversation now also is Laura Francis. She's the first selectman of Durham. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So what is your reaction and what plans do you have in place as the state lawmakers still try to work out a compromise? 
Well, we are facing similar problems that John just uh, described. Um, towns like Durham, the, the predominant state aid that we get is in the form of educational cost sharing. And if the reallocation plan that the governor put forward uh, comes to pass, our um, education funding will be reduced from about $3.8 million down to $115,000. Now, when you have a, state, a town budget of, of only about $6.5 million, how can a town absorb that kind of cut? Now, town of Durham belongs to a regional school district. Um, the budget for that school district is passed by referendum. So we are legally, as member towns, uh, obligated to fund um, what was passed. So we have had two meetings already with the superintendent of schools and the board of education chair looking for mid-year cuts uh, from them because clearly um, the towns of Durham and Middlefield can't absorb the kind of cuts that are coming, possibly coming down. Um, and, and this is the first time we've had to do that, had to go to the Board of Ed looking for mid-year cuts, um, asking them to, to um, try to find some savings on a budget that was passed by our residents. And what are you hearing from your state representative and state senator, Laura Francis? Well... <laughs> We, we have actually two state senators and two state representatives representing the town of Durham, and they are in touch with me um, uh, very regularly. Um, they are frustrated. Um, they have, uh, I have three Republican legislators and one Democratic legislator, and the minority legislators are very, very frustrated that um, the majority leadership has not brought forward budgets for them to vote on. Um, and, and they are telling me, um, as someone has mentioned uh, earlier, not to expect the budget until possibly the fall. We're getting a tweet from a listener uh, who's asking uh, what your mill rate is uh, in Durham um, and suggesting if it's lower than 30, there's room to raise it. Uh, first of all, what is your mill rate and your reaction to that? So our mill rate is 39.5. We are the highest in Middlesex County. And it's because Durham doesn't have the infrastructure to um, have much of a diversified tax base. We rely heavily on the residential property owner. Um, we don't have sewers. Um, we have access to very little public water. Um, we are working on the water side, but the sewer side would be um, very, very challenging for us to to ever implement. So um, our residential tax base is carrying the burden and I'll tell you, when we did raise it to 39.5, um, I had residents visiting me absolutely passed right over the mad stage and into the, to the fearful stage, fearful that they are not going to be able to, to afford to stay in their homes, age in place as some people have planned to do. That's Laura Francis, First Luckman of Durham, also on the phone with us, John Elsesser, Town Manager of Coventry. In studio, Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. If uh, raising property taxes isn't the answer as um, representing all these towns of cost, uh, Betsy, would a sales tax increase be amenable? How, would that help at all? I think whenever you have a, a problem or a budget deficit of this magnitude, it's going to take a little bit of everything to try to address it. One thing that I do want to address is that there's been a lot of discussion this session about mill rates and whether or not 
Lower mill rates mean that those towns aren't paying their fair share of property taxes. I think that that reveals a, a misunderstanding of what the mill rate is. It's really a multiplier, and it's based on the assessed value of property, and not to get too densely into that issue. But I think you need to look at the level of property taxes that are being paid. And whenever we talk about state funding, people say, well, should the state give money to these wealthier communities. It's not state money, it is taxpayer money, and I think we forget about that. So whatever solution we come up with, it has to be fair, it has to provide a fair share of funding across the board. And so reallocating funds from our wealthier communities to our poorer districts, I think is gonna have a detrimental impact on the state this fiscal year and going forward, and and that really concerns me. I do believe that property taxpayers are at a tipping point, they're fed up, and they realize that they are being relied upon to fund a humongous share of state obligations that really the state needs to look at a better way of of handling. We've talked a lot about, well, what is the solution to the budget deficit? One thing they can do is to give towns more control over their local budgets. John Elsesser mentioned that they're hamstrung because of the minimum budget requirement, because of state mandates like binding arbitration, prevailing wage, and things like that that nobody has been willing to address. So I think that has got to be part of the solution. I want to fit a a listener call in before we head to break. Uh, Jackie's calling from West Hartford. Jackie, go ahead. I love your show, as always. Thank you. Um, I have a question for the panel, and I think for your later guests, maybe. Um, I'm a Connecticut resident that pays property, state sales, motor vehicles, and pretty much any other tax you can imagine. Um, I'm worried that if the Connecticut's becoming an unaffordable option for myself and my family, I have three questions. One is, are the cities hearing my type of concerns from their residents? Two, what impact, if any, do they have on the executive and legislative branches to act in a responsible manner with our money? Three, why is no one talking about addressing the state employee benefits and pension obligations, which from what I understand is the main driver of our fiscal problems? And again, thanks guys for helping us out. Thank you, Jackie, for your question. Let's take that last one first, uh, Betsy. They just voted on a concessions uh, package, right? They did vote on a union concession package, and prior to that, they had actually made some adjustments to the state employee pension package. There was a lot of discussion earlier this session about the unfunded liabilities associated with the teacher pensions, and the Governor Malloy had proposed shifting a third of those costs, which would be upwards of $400 million per year, onto towns and cities. What concerns us is that those costs are attributed to the fact that the state had underfunded pension liabilities for more than 70 years. And all of a sudden now they want to shift those costs onto towns, which had absolutely no role in outlining the pension benefits um, or making determinations about how those pension liabilities should be funded. So I agree, there needs to be a very serious discussion about pension reform. And unfortunately, that has not happened yet. 
I want to thank Durham First Selectman Laura Francis for joining us. Also, John Elsesser, the town manager of Coventry. Cost Executive Director Betsy Guerra is in studio with us. She's going to remain here as we continue to hear about how municipalities are handling uh, these projections of reduced state aid, as Betsy mentioned, taxpayer money, as they wait for the General Assembly to pass a new two-year budget. What have you noticed your town or city doing to prepare for possibly millions less? Are you dreading another property tax increase? Would you support an increase in sales tax? Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Since July 1, Governor Malloy has been running the state of Connecticut by executive order after the Connecticut General Assembly failed to pass a new two-year budget that plugs a deficit of $5 billion. Coming up, we'll talk with House Majority Leader Matt Ritter about the budget impasse. We'll also hear from Republican State Senator Paul Formica about whether he thinks compromise is still possible. What ripple effects are you expecting and where you live as municipalities brace for less state aid? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. In studio with us, Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. And joining the conversation now is the Mayor of New London, Michael Passero. Uh, Mayor Passero, welcome to the show. Good morning. So tell us uh, about your budget in New London and what you're anticipating in the coming weeks and months without this uh, new two-year budget from the state of Connecticut. Our budget was was very, very difficult. Um, What we finally ended up doing, um, uh, first, the budget had to be adopted by uh, May 1st. And what we ended up doing is budgeting in a $2.5 million uh, anticipated loss in state revenues, um, which which was significant, very significant for New London. Approximately one third of our operating budget is supported by the state, and that's um, a combination of pilot and ECS. Um, about 44% of the property in New London is not taxable, um, according to the General Assembly's mandates. Uh, we are not able to assess property taxes on about 44% of our property. Um, and so we rely on the state to to make up that difference. And uh, so this, uh, you know, the current fiscal meltdown up in Hartford is is having a significant effect. The $2.5 million anticipated loss of state revenue ha- has translated into a 9.3% tax increase on the, the uh, taxpayers here in the city. That's obviously not gone over well. Uh, with the budget impasse still in effect, what do you, what proposals would help the the city of New London? Uh, well, we actually, uh, with the help of our, our state uh, delegation, uh, principally uh, Chris Soto and Representative Delacruz, uh, we did seek some um, relief from uh, the state mandates that uh, uh, allow, you know, uh, ta- uh, you know. A series of tax exempt organizations to remove property from the tax rolls. So essentially, what we we're asking was a moratorium on that. I mean, at some point, if the state is not going to be in a position to reimburse the city for the city services that it has to provide to almost half of this city, then um, the state's got to um, it's got to work with these nonprofits and let them understand they're going to have to help contribute towards the cost of the city services. They can't leave the they can't leave the taxpayers in New London to, to foot that bill. It's not possible. It's not practical. Now, um, you had mentioned the num- the percentage of property in New London that's tax-exempt. There was that proposal to tax hospitals. Is that something that could help you? Well, obviously, that um, if that uh, proposal 
was politically viable up in Hartford, that would have uh, essentially wiped out the tax increase here in New London. Um, <clears throat> the you know the uh, the Mercer money was was being offset by the the property tax on hospitals, but we still came out probably about three point five million dollars in the plus column. So that um, that would have helped us considerably. I'm I'm not you know we we were not able to budget that in. I, I don't believe it would have been uh, fiscally responsible to anticipate that revenue um, because it just has up to this point there hasn't seemed to be any legs you know any support for it in the in the in the general assembly. Um, I'm I'm not sure whether it's good policy or not good policy. I'm really not in a position to. Um, you know, to talk about that, just going after one one particular category of of tax exempt property, uh, being the hospitals. I'm not sure that that's the way to go. But um, from a purely, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, just for our self interest here in New London, of course, that would have helped. That would have been revenue we sorely need. Now, uh, Mayor Passero, Governor Malloy has uh, indicated that he's going to be shifting more uh, state aid to poor uh, parts of the state. Would that help the city of New London? Uh, certainly. Um, it, it, you know, during the our first, uh, we expect our now understanding that one third of the budget is depending on the state revenue. Without a state budget, we're we don't know where we stand as far as when those first revenue payments start coming in, uh, which is September 30th. So. You know, as we get close to that date, um, I have to start worrying about whether we're going to make, make our ju- make our budget our, our our target. Whether even with that nine percent tax increase, even anticipating a two and a half million dollar loss in revenue, um, state revenue, uh, whether um, you know that's going to be enough to cover us um, with with losses in this first quarter. Um, so um, it it is heartening to know that the governor is is going to be diverting money to. Um, distressed municipalities, which New London is the number one distressed municipality in the state. I'm not sure people understand that. And I believe that's not New London's fault. That is the way the state has set us up to fail with this system of permitting um, so many properties to go on off the tax rolls and then not reimbursing us for that. Um, The state's generosity is costing the taxpayers in New London dearly, and it's just not fair. I wanted to bring into the conversation uh, Joe DeLong, Executive Director of the Connecticut Council uh, of Min- or for, Minis- for Municipalities. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good morning. You were on a few months ago talking about uh, proposals to help municipalities, uh, such as an increase in sales tax. Uh, now that it's um, the second week of August, uh, what proposals could help uh, the towns and cities you represent, Joe? Well, you know, obviously the towns and cities you have on the show today are part of that, and our position really has not changed. Um, the report that we released in early January, we followed it up with press conferences in the middle of the session, and we're still to that point today, um, we still think is the right direction for cities and towns. And it really falls, you know, all around the property tax. Uh, it falls around helping distressed communities, and it falls around lowering property taxes. Uh, and obviously, there's been a lot of focus on the sales tax, but our belief is this isn't just about an increase in the sales tax. It's it's about using sales tax capacity to lower property taxes. It's about using cost control measures to lower property taxes, and it's about using positive uh, steps and toward, toward regional initiatives to lower property taxes. And you know, going back to New London, listening to the mayor, it's it's really unfortunate that the state does not get yet to this point. 
that doing things like they're doing that has caused New London to put a 9% property tax increase only goes into a further downward spiral into the state's revenues because it's these, these high property taxes are what are prohibiting growth and development within our communities. And it's only that growth and development that are going to actually increase the state's tax receipts and get us out of this fiscal mess. So what I've been telling people from the very beginning is if you really want to take this entire budget crisis and simplify it and putting it into nice little tight terms, you really have a two-point litmus test. Number one, if the budget passes, does it stabilize or decrease property taxes? And the second part of that litmus test is, does it help our distressed urban centers become vibrant again? If the answers to both of those questions are yes, we won't have a fiscal crisis in a couple of years down the road. But if the answer to either one of those questions is a no, then nothing is going to change in Connecticut, and we're going to continue to stay in the shape that we're in now. Joe, that, there, That's what our, our organization has really been trying to emphasize to policymakers. Now, Joe, the General Assembly, I believe there have been reports in the Connecticut Mirror uh, that the, the House and Senate are looking at uh, possibly increasing the sales tax, but that would not be something you support depending on the way it's structured because it wouldn't um, help municipalities actually avoid property tax increases? It, it, it is all about how it is structured. There is a capacity within the sales tax that if you structure it the right way, if that money, that new revenue is a direct revenue intercept that goes directly to cities and towns, and that revenue cannot be counted toward things like arbitration awards once it gets to cities and towns, it will have the desired impact of reducing property taxes and making our communities more competitive. Now, if all you do is either A, increase the sales tax at the state level and promise cities and towns that you're going to appropriate it to them. Well, we've been there before. That happened two years ago with MRSA. And as, as the, uh, the mayor of New London pointed out, they're not even counting on that money in their budget because we knew at that time we'd never see it. If this new revenue from the sales tax goes through appropriations, by the time it's supposed to get to cities and towns, they'll never see it. So that's a wrong way to do it. And the other part of it is if you grab this new revenue, and you send it to cities and towns, but you don't change the structure that you put these cities and towns under, they're not going to be able to do the things with that revenue that they need to do to reduce property taxes and become more competitive. They're just going to see that money be spent before they ever actually get their hands on it and it ever makes it to its intended purpose. So, yeah, we, we absolutely have proposed and continue to support a sales tax proposal to offset property taxes under a certain set of parameters. But that doesn't mean that just any increase to the state sales tax under any parameters that they want to do it under or to do it under the same old, same old system that they've been doing for years is the right thing to do. That doesn't get us anywhere. That doesn't progress us in the right direction in any way, shape or form. That's Joe DeLong, uh, the executive director of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. I wanted to go back to our in-studio guest, guest Betsy Guerra, who's executive director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Um, I may have asked you this earlier, but uh, outline for us, uh, again, the opinion of the me- your membership on what a sales tax increase could do for you. We, our board of directors discussed the proposal to increase the sales tax, and we did not take a position in support of it. A lot of the concern was because they felt that a discussion of increase in the sales tax would really move the conversation away from the structural reforms that need to take place to give towns more opportunity and greater control over local budgets. Um, A lot of that is included in the CCM report, and we're supportive of it, things like making sure that if 
towns are going to regionalize, that that the state laws are amended so that they facilitate that kind of regionalism and in a way that is going to truly save costs. This is where we live today. We're weighing the the concerns and the opinion of municipal leaders around the state as the Connecticut General Assembly has yet to approve a new two-year budget. Coming up, we're going to hear from House Majority Leader Matt Ritter as well as State Senator Paul Formica. He's the uh, chair of the Appropriations Committee. That's going to be coming up later in the show. But we want to hear from listeners, too. You know, what are your concerns as your town and city uh, put to plans in place uh, to anticipate less state aid coming to them in the next couple of months. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. I want to hear from another town leader, uh, the mayor of Manchester is calling in, Jay Moran. Uh, mayor Moran, welcome to the show. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me. So, town of Manchester, tell us about uh, some of the, the contingency plans that you have in place. Well, similar to London, we had to uh, adopt a budget by uh, by May. We, we pushed it back as far as we can, thinking there was going to be a state budget. Um you know, we, we dipped into our, our fund balance of $2 million to balance the budget at this point in time. Hopefully, uh, we won't have to touch that, but, uh, you know, because we've done a great job uh, with our money and, balance, and protecting ourselves. But, you know, one of the things we're looking at Manchester is, is the, is the uh, mill rate on the car taxes. You know, we budgeted at uh, the state saying 32. We budgeted at 37. We're hoping they come back to an equals 37 like last year um, when they come out with a budget. But, you know, we're looking at so many different things. We're concerned, obviously, with the uh, the Alliance Grant. We have over $3 million that comes in the Alliance Grant, which covers a lot of salaries. Um, you know, we're freezing money to protect the first quarter. Uh, just so much, so many moving parts here right now. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we pushed our, our, our tax bill to October 1st from July, so we know what, so we wouldn't have to send out two bills to our, uh, our taxpayers. And so, you know, similar to a lot of things going on in London and what uh, some of the other guests have said, you know, we just don't know what's going on. So, you know, we've done a nice job with our money. We got a AAA report from Fitch. And so we're just uh, sitting back waiting to see what happens. But, you know, it is critical that it happens soon as we get a state budget because, you know, without ECS payments and uh, delay in the tax collections, you know, come October, we, it will create a, a cash flow problem. So we're, we're, we're holding our breath and uh, just... Uh, in the course right now. You mentioned a cash flow problem. So ECS, educational cost sharing, grant money uh, expected from the state in October. You also mentioned alliance money. So the town of Manchester is one of these alliance school districts? Yes, it is, over $3 million. And uh, so we're concerned about that. When we've, you know, uh, you know, we've been told all along it's not going to be touched, but, you know, there isn't a budget right now. So if it even hasn't been touched, if we don't have a budget, uh, you know, you know, we don't want to lay off teachers, uh, and I don't think we're not going to do that. That's not our plan, but we are going to have to start looking at some uh, areas to freeze money to cover that right now as we move forward, which would affect going back into probably our fund balance because we were, we're proud to say that we adopted a 0% budget this year uh, with a no, no uh, change in our mill rate from last year for the uh, taxpayers in Manchester. So, um, you know, we know sooner or later the taxpayer gets hit. So. We try to keep steady the course here in Manchester. Now, Mayor Moran, you mentioned that you're not going to lay off teachers, but you might have to freeze other spending. What other departments uh, could be on the chopping block, so to speak? Well, I don't know if there's so much uh, departments, but, you know, we, you know, we're looking at things like, you know, you're not going to buy the police cruisers. You're, you're going to – we're delaying all our capital investments at this point in time. Uh, when positions open, we're leaving them open. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, we're doing what everyone else is doing, you know. 
just uh, taking it day by day, hoping that uh, we will get a budget. And when we first got the budget from the state, we thought we were going to make all this money. And we talked about taxing uh, hospitals, but they, you know, in the original budget from the governor, we were going to make all this money off it. But we've gone from a nonprofit to a profit, so we're, we and we, we gave them a tax abatement. So that that, that money's not coming our way because. Again, they went from a nonprofit to a profit, so that doesn't help us at this point in time. I wanted to fit in a listener call. Greg's calling from Cheshire. Greg, you're on the show. Yes, thank you very much for taking my call. And um, I really uh, share a lot of the concerns that have been voiced by your guests. And uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, if any callers are listening that are interested in going to the Capitol, I've done that, met with my elected officials, expressed that. Um, there's one area that I think really we could tap into revenue-wise that with the evolution of online sales and the sharing economy, a lot of these entities are not paying taxes and sales tax. And there was a measure that was proposed to uh, add a 25 cent per transaction tax on Uber. And the Republicans uh, did not allow that to go through. It was proposed by the Democrats. And I thought that was a, a step in the right direction. And the other thing I think that we could be doing is going after some of these sales taxes that were not paid by uh, big entities such as Amazon and others. Um, because I think with the evolution of sort of the brick-and-mortar entities kind of going on by the wayside and now people putting a lot of their uh, money into these uh, online uh, transactions, that the state is losing a lot of revenue in those areas. Um, so, And the other thing I just wanted to mention, that I think when we talk about um, trying to, um, you know, balance this budget, we need to also, you know, realize that everyone needs to take a bite of this apple and, uh, I went to a, one of the meetings and that was uh, posted, uh, hosted by uh, an elected official, and they talked about the fact that, you know, wealthy, you know, we don't want to raise uh, revenue on the wealthy, they're going to leave the state and so on and so forth. But, you know, my concern is that if we don't raise revenue across the board, that uh, we're going to have to raise revenue for people that are very vulnerable, and I don't think that's fair. So that's my comment. Thank you, Greg, uh, for your comments. I'll go back to our in-studio guest, uh, Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Uh, much of this uh, discussion has been centered around uh, tax increases, uh, but we know that that can hurt perceptions of why people want to stay in Connecticut or move to Connecticut. We hear uh, different discussions about, well, people are leaving because the cost of living is too high. Um, how do we have a more productive conversation on ways to, to fix these these fiscal problems that they can't be solved overnight. Well, I do think we have to revisit some issues that have always been kind of sacred cows up at the state capitol. The issue of prevailing wage, for example. In previous years, the prevailing wage threshold was increased every uh, so often to ensure that it was in line with inflation. Unfortunately, it hasn't been increased uh, for almost uh, more than a quarter century at this point. And so now what happens is that even small municipal projects, things like salt sheds, pavilions, a town garage, are subject to prevailing wage, which increases the cost of that project. And those extra costs are paid for by our taxpayers. So we need to open a dialogue about some of those things and really think about how we can adjust prevailing wage thresholds, how we can adjust binding arbitration, not in a way that hurts the working people uh, or the employees, but in a way that makes sense and that allows towns to move forward with critical projects. 
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I want to thank uh, New London Mayor Michael Passero and Manchester Mayor Jay Moran for joining the conversation. Coming up, we're going to hear from Democratic House Majority Leader Representative Matt Ritter and Republican Appropriations Committee Chair Republican State Senator Paul Formica. Do you have questions for leaders in the General Assembly? When will they be voting on a budget? Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Join me tomorrow night at 6 at the Warner Theater in Torrington for Making Her Story. It's a new WMPR Where We Live series highlighting the stories of prominent Connecticut women. Uh, Tomorrow night we'll hear from Yale astrophysicist Priya Natarajan, and we'll take questions from the audience. You can go to WMPR.org for more information. Now, today we've been hearing the concerns of town and city leaders as they, along with Connecticut residents, wait to see when the General Assembly will pass a new two-year budget. It comes down to compromise, according to House Speaker. Speaker Joe Arasimowitz in a year when the balance of power between both parties is fairly narrow. Now, two members of the Connecticut General Assembly are joining us now to explain what's happening at the state capitol. Democrat Matt Ritter, House Majority Leader, who represents Hartford, and Republican State Senator Paul Formica, who represents the 20th District, also co-chair of the Appropriations Committee. Representative Ritter and State Senator Formica, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you very much, and good morning. Good morning, Representative. Hi, Senator. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, I'll start with you, uh, Representative Ritter. Tell uh, our listeners, you know, the latest when a budget may be expected uh, to be voted on. We're, we're there every day, uh, and that's all four caucuses. Uh, we expect to have a meeting with our, our House counterparts from the Republican caucus this week again. Uh, as many people know, we were waiting for the CBAC vote, and now we have to see what the next steps are. The Republican budget assumed uh, some, some savings. They were against the CBAC agreement. Our hope now is... Now that one-third of the budget, so to speak, one of the stools is is taken care of, can we all reconvene and see, okay, where are we going to go from here? And we'll begin those conversations again this week. But we've been, you know, talking all all June and July and and into August, and we continue to try to work on it on a daily basis. We've heard uh, over the last couple of months uh, projected uh, days when a vote might happen and then they've passed. Is there another vote scheduled to happen? I do not. Right now, we've asked our members to keep every day available. Uh, so as soon as we, we get that, that, that magic agreement, we'll be in to vote on it. Now, uh, we were talking about uh, the proposal to raise the, the state sales tax. Uh, we heard from uh, the leader of Connecticut Council of Municipalities, Joe DeLong, saying that you know, this is something that they've wanted, but they want it to be structured in a certain way to avoid a property tax increase for towns and, and municipalities. What can you tell our listeners about uh, what's being discussed in terms of is that a possibility that we could see an increase in state sales tax? In the House Democrat proposal, we, we did uh, talk about raising it to help municipalities. I think the governor's been very clear uh, that he believes that municipal aid is is not properly distributed and probably over-distributed. And so we're trying to find a balance. Uh, we, in our conversation with the Senate colleagues, realize we're probably going to be looking at a lower increase, if any. Uh, we prefer not to have any sales tax increase, but we're just looking at all options and, and keeping those options open as negotiations continue. Senator Formica, I'll ask you to to talk with us about uh, what's been happening in terms of your party caucusing uh, for compromise, and what's your take on on an increase in the state sales tax? Well, we've, you know, had our line uh, item fully vetted budget out for six or eight weeks now, and and I think what's important is that everybody gets in a room and uh, provides a document that does exactly the same thing. And let's get a uh, line-by-line budget uh, with everybody sitting down so that we can compare. 
so we're waiting on that. I understand that the leaders are, are having conversations about uh, getting more information so that detail becomes available. But, you know, that's, you know, that's the basis for which we need to uh, discuss. Um, we have proposed a new ECS formula uh, that takes into consideration uh, a, a new strategy toward how we fund education. We understand with the recent court cases that, you know, we have to do things differently. And uh, But we also know, and, and as we've heard over the last hour in your show, that municipal leaders need some kind of predictability. And having large deductions from their budget in one year isn't really the answer. So uh, our ECS budget uh, feathers in uh, any uh, redistribution or any change in ECS formula over time based on enrollment and, and other new factors that we've put together. So, so we've put ideas out there. We're ready uh, and willing to sit down and have a conversation. Uh, we're in there every day. We have great budget folks, and we've shared our information. So, you know, we look forward to getting it done, and, and not only for cities and towns, but, you know, for nonprofits and businesses and everywhere, it's incumbent that we get this done sooner rather than later. Senator Formica, um, Representative Ritter also mentioned that lawmakers are at the Capitol, they're in caucus, um, you, and you're mentioning that you've had this plan in, uh, before you for some time, hoping to reach a compromise. But there's a level of frustration, as you know, you probably hear from your constituents all the time, that elected officials aren't doing the job that they were elected to do. How do you respond? Well, there's there's not much you, you can respond to that. The fact of the matter is the budget uh, ended uh, June 30th, and the new budget started July 1, and here we are uh, the first week in August, and we don't have a budget. So uh, we need to sit down. We need to get together. As I as I said, I, you know, we've put a fully vetted line-by-line budget out there. We're still waiting uh, for the other side to really get that done, and that's really the first step. Um, you know, the leader spoke about the CBEC agreement. Uh, you know, now that that's finalized, uh, you know, we think that uh, that hamstrings us a little bit moving forward in the budget. But, you know, the fact is that uh, what's done is done, and, and, you know, we need to find a way to come together to, to, to get a budget forward. But we do not have increased taxes in our budget. We're not in favor of increased sales taxes. Uh, you know, Connecticut uh, and its people have been taxed uh, enough over the previous year. So it's time to, you know, do something different. And I believe we're at a crossroads and Leaders uh, need to sit down and put aside party politics and and let's just get this done. Betsy Guerra is in studio with us, Executive Director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Small Towns, rather. Uh, Betsy, tell us uh, again. You know, what what are some of the questions you have for these lawmakers? Well, some of the questions have been answered. Um, I'm glad that, to hear that they are meeting on a daily basis. I think that's important, and I think that word needs to get out into the public more. Um, there is a lot of concern as. As you know, Senator and Representative, uh, about the um, uncertainty, and that uncertainty has also created problems relative to a bond package. So a lot of our municipal aid is bond funded at this point. As a result, a lot of towns have had to stall projects associated with road improvements, with infrastructure improvements, because town aid road funding and local capital improvement program funding has not been able to move forward. Do you envision any of any um, wiggle room in terms of releasing some of those funds if a budget isn't adopted soon? Representative Ritter? 
Well, I mean, look, no one's probably represents a city that's in worse trouble uh, in the state of Connecticut. So I, I not only do I feel the pressure as a leader to get a state budget done, but Hartford will be unable to pay its bills sometime around Columbus Day to a Halloween uh, and have to have to potentially file for bankruptcy. So, so trust me, I am well aware of the municipal struggles, and we want to work with them. The problem is the governor is very hamstrung under the executive order, and I would say that if we don't have a budget by sometime in September, town aid and road and those kind of things will look like nothing compared to what the governor is threatening over ECS and other municipal cuts. And so I think Republicans and Democrats really have to think long and hard that the longer the executive order goes, the worst shape municipalities are going to be in. And it really behooves us to get this thing done in the next couple of weeks. I want to fit in a call, Tim from New Haven. Tim, we have a couple of minutes. Go ahead. Hi, thanks. Um, It seems like the state is really in a moment of crisis. And I'd like to ask the legislators and the the other guests, um, why don't we use the crisis as an opportunity to shift away from property taxes. We all agree that it's not the best kind of tax and shift more of the weight onto the income tax. That's going to hit the people who can better afford to pay it. And it could mean you could, you know, if you got the attention of the electorate, it's showing the middle class that they're not actually paying more in tax. It's just a different kind of tax. You might be able to get away from the penalties you guys are usually afraid of. All right, Tim, I'll, I'll ask uh, Senator Formica to answer your question. Well, I think the caller is right. We need to have comprehensive tax reform, comprehensive pension reform. We've heard some of this conversation before. Uh, But we also know that tax increases are not the answer. We've seen the history of that over the last few years. And, you know, the wealthy have the ability to to be mobile, uh, unlike those of us that work every day on Main Street. And uh, they can take their money to other states, and, and we've seen that. Uh, slow decline in in high resident taxpayers, uh, and that's caused a lot of the revenue problem. But we do need pension reform. We do need tax reform. But I think that comes after what we need to do now, and that's put put aside differences and get a budget together uh, that doesn't increase taxes, that you know compromises uh, a little bit on what we need to do, and and uh, take some of these ideas that we have and, and move them forward. That's Republican State Senator Paul Formica. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, House Majority Leader Matt Ritter. Thank you, Representative Ritter. Thanks for having me. Also in studio with us uh, is uh, Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. So, Betsy, hopefully in the next couple months we'll have a budget. I hope so. Um, I know that these guys are working hard and they're very committed to developing a very balanced solution. So I look forward to uh, working with them on that. Our show is produced by Lydia Brown and Jeff Tyson. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.